He was only 10 years old that summer. That was the year he got his first job delivering the Telegraph Journal newspaper every day to more than 100 customers using only his bike. That was the year that his pastor baptized him in the Tobik River near the CNR train bridge in the only saving name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. And that was the year that he had the strange dream that he never could quite figure out. In his dream, he was standing on a floating raft of logs in a huge, wide river. He looked around and he saw lowlands spreading before him on one side and distant jungle-covered hills rising on the other side. And then he looked down. And when he looked down, he noticed a distinct difference in the color of the water on either side of the raft. One side was black, the other brown, like sand. And as far as he could see, the waters flowed ahead of him side by side without mixing. And he never could quite figure out what that meant. He received the baptism of the Holy Ghost six years later, speaking in other tongues for the very first time in his life. A visiting missionary named A. Werner Larson was preaching that night and stayed at the church praying with this young man until three in the morning. He was just 16, and he already was feeling the strong pull of a missionary calling on his own life. But he still hadn't figured out the meaning of that strange dream. He was a hard worker, and he also loved airplanes. He made his first solo flight just two weeks after his high school graduation, and five, years, uh, five weeks later, he arrived at Bible school. He received his private pilot's license when he was just 20 and married the love of his life the same year. And when he was just 24 years of age, still a young man, he moved his wife and his brand new baby daughter to the city of Manaus in the country of Brazil. They didn't know anyone. They didn't speak a word of Portuguese. But they had a call of God on their lives. Just two weeks after they arrived, a young tour guide who happened to speak English pretty well invited Benny de Merchant to visit the main tourist attraction of Manaus by boat. He said, I want you to see the meeting of the waters. It's very important. It's very impressive. You must see it. And so Benny accepted. In Manaus, two distinct rivers converge to form the fabled Amazon River, which then flows nearly a thousand miles until it reaches the Atlantic Ocean at Balaam. It has such force at that point when it hits the coast that it pushes fresh water 200 miles out into the sea. But the amazing thing is that the Amazon's two tributaries, they don't blend upon meeting, but instead it almost looks like they create a seam down the river as far as you can see. From the air, the water of the Rio Negro looks like the color of tea, dark tea. And the water of the Rio Solomos looks like the color of sand. And for miles, 
They run side by side without mixing. As the tour guide approached the meeting of the waters in that primitive little boat, Benny got up to stand on the bow of the boat and he looked downriver in amazement. On one side, he could see the lowlands and on the other side, he could see the jungle-covered hills in the distance and beneath his feet, two very distinct colors of water running side by side as far as the eye could see. And as he stared at the mighty Amazon River, Benny de Merchant finally understood that strange dream he had had when he was only 10 years old and he knew that he was in Brazil in the perfect will of God. It's a wonderful thing, students, graduates, to work for God. It's a wonderful thing. Like oil and water, those two rivers run for 10 miles without mixing at all. The remarkable phenomenon is due to the differences in temperature, speed, and density of the water. The Rio Negro, the Blackwater River, it's the largest Blackwater River in the world. It's tannic. It is the color of very dark tea because upstream it cuts through forests of leaf-shedding trees. So Rio Negro's water is dense and it's heavy and it's quite placid on the surface. It doesn't look too rough at all. It's virtually free of mineral content and it has very sparse fish life because it is so acidic. On the other hand, the Rio Solomos, the Whitewater River, it's, it's sand-colored, it's wavy, it's full of churning vegetation and silt because it cuts through mountains and so soil and silt, it, it just sediment, it all gets in the water and it has fast-moving rapids and because of all the life in that river, it has plentiful fish. At the meeting of the waters, not only is that seam dramatically visible from above, but that seam you see in those two rivers that come together is three-dimensional. It's almost as if there's an underwater wall that rises from the riverbed to the surface of the water. They tell us that you can feel the difference around you if you put on diving gear and swim underwater from side to side, you can feel the difference in the water. And so for 10 miles, those two rivers run completely distinct and separate in that shared riverbed, just like oil and water. As you graduate this weekend, you stand at the meeting of the waters. On one side, is the ancient scripture. On one side is the word of God that you've been taught. It is steady and unchanging. It has a message of eternal salvation. But on the other side is the modern world, unstable, constantly changing and moving and twisting and morphing. According to scripture itself, these two powerful forces. These two rivers will never mix. They will always run side by side. And you are called in your generation to negotiate those powerful currents. You are called to reach across that divide for the sake of souls and to do so without capsizing the boat 
of your apostolic legacy and heritage. Far too many have made shipwreck in the rapids of culture, but far too many others have retreated to the safety of church walls where the waters are placid and calm. That is not what we are called to do. We are not called to retreat and hunker in the bunker. We are not called to push culture aside and ignore them and just kind of hang on till Jesus gets back. We are called to reach. We are called to teach. We are called to preach. We are called to impact our world. And it is treacherous out there. It really is. The nation of Canada in just the last year has passed a couple of pieces of legislation that are extremely concerning to pastors. Uh, The world is morphing until they look at uh, alternate lifestyles as real lifestyles and real lifestyles as some kind of weird fiction. The world is changing and morphing and twisting and perverting itself and it's getting bad out there. And this is the world you're called to serve God in. Paul wrote to his young protege, Timothy, in the last letter the apostle would ever write on this planet, and he said, This know also, Timothy, that in the last days perilous times shall come. It will be dangerous and treacherous out there. It will be difficult. It will be confusing. It will be uh, the kind of world where... Good is called evil, and evil is called good, and, 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 and sweet is called bitter, and bitter is called sweet. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul wrote, Let no man deceive you by any means. That day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And even before the rapture of the church, we're beginning to see the Antichrist system come together, and eventually that man of sin will be revealed, the son of perdition. And John clarified that, at least for me, when he said this, Little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, here it is. Even now there are many Antichrists. His spirit is present. His, 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 his kingdom is forming. His, his regime is taking place and coming together and cobbling together all the pieces that will oppose everything that is godly and righteous. Even now there are many antichrists. And John said, and this is how we know that it is the last time. So graduates in particular, all of you young people and students, you stand at the meeting of the waters. You stand at the juncture of two prophetic rivers. And they run parallel without mixing until the moment of the rapture. On one side is a river of unthinkable apostasy. You know, apostasy is a theological term. It means people that uh, become reprobate concerning the faith and they walk away and they, they, they turn their back on truth and doctrine and, and godliness and they just walk away. And apostasy is very easy to imagine in a theological sense, especially in the world today. But apostasy is hard to fathom. When on the other side of that divide, there are faces of friends and family members and people that once served God and once loved him and once rejoiced in living a godly lifestyle and today they're far from it. That's hard. Apostasy is easy in a dictionary sense. It's very hard when you're thinking about people that you know and love. But apostasy will happen. 
There is a river of unthinkable apostasy flowing in this day. But I'm glad to tell you that on the other side of that great divide, there is a parallel river of unprecedented revival. They run parallel without mixing and they run straight from now till the rapture. And you and you alone choose what your ministry, what your life, what your calling is going to be and which river you are going to swim in. I live in beautiful little Fredericton and I love this town that calls itself a city and thinks it's the center of the world. I love it. I have no issues with it. We could use a few more Tim Hortons in my opinion. We also could use a few more flights at our airport, but that's, I digress. <laughs> you want to go to Toronto or Montreal? Your choice, all of the options. I love this little town. If I can say this and you understand and not think me arrogant, I refuse to be confined to this little town when we've got a world to reach. I'm not talking about travel. I'm talking about we have the internet in this generation. You students, you're native to the internet. I am not. I had to learn it. They had to drag me kicking and screaming into the internet. Literally sometimes. But you're native to it. It is possible to teach a Bible study to somebody on the other side of this planet and not break a sweat. It, it is possible to teach and preach to people that you, you don't even know anything about them, but you just meet them in some online place. And it would be so wonderful in this last day's generation if we could use the internet for more than just temptation to pull godly people off track in their spiritual life and we could actually use it to accomplish something for the kingdom. And you're the generation that can make it happen. You stand at the meeting of the waters. Unthinkable apostasy or unprecedented revival. Tuesday night, I'll be online with Brother Caleb Tan, a wonderful man of God. He's in Singapore right now, but he works in China. He's Chinese. And we'll be recording for the church in China. And uh, it's really wonderful. And it's so, so neat. I feel like I'm a member of the CIA they're recording all this stuff and we're getting it translated and they're putting it on little USB drives and they've got some kind of code because everybody carries USB drives in their luggage in their pocket. And they're putting some kind of little code on it. So if they give you the code, you can see all the videos. But if they don't give you the code, you just think, hmm, this is a blank USB drive. So it's secure. We're going to flood into China with all those things. Brother Bernard's been teaching on that and whatever. And it's unimaginable apostasy or unprecedented revival. You get to pick what river you're going to swim in, what river you're going to float down, what river you're, you're, you're going to engage in. And there are two rivers, Habakkuk too. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I know it's easy to live in a relatively small province and in a relatively small city and it's easy to kind of get focused on right here and this is what church means. The church is massive. 
The church is powerful. The church girdles the globe. The church is under the radar in all kinds of Muslim countries and communist cities and the church is alive and thriving and growing and moving and I refuse to sit back and just kind of wonder, well, what side am I gonna swim in? I'm gonna plunge myself into the river of revival and I'm gonna swim toward the rapture. Haggai said it, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts, and in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. You know what? I am not scared, not afraid, not anxious, not even nervous. The last days don't scare me. COVID-19 did not cause me to break a sweat. Caused me to grumble under my breath a few times. I am not afraid. I am excited that we get to live in this generation. Brother Carter mentioned we just came back from Canada Conference. We had the wonderful privilege. Um, Pastor Justin McKenzie brought... Elder John Min, who just turned 90 in March, and he's a precious man, and uh, he was in his glory being in church. I, I think we just about wore him out. Um, he took a nap one afternoon and got up and thought it was the next morning. He was just totally, oh my. He, um, he loves church, and he loves the scripture, and I watched him in those sessions just he was electrified when somebody was preaching. He, he, just, he just loved it. And um, Brother Urshan, Joel Urshan, who's going to be here at our youth convention in, in next month, uh, he, he preached this wonderful message uh, yesterday morning in Toronto uh, called the book of Second Samuel. I'd love it if he'd preach it here. If he does, just amen like he never heard that before. Um, he, he just talked about how the prophet Samuel in First Samuel, he's uh, choosing people that will follow him. He's mentoring leaders. He's anointing people like David. And, and then in 2 Samuel, the book of 2 Samuel doesn't even mention Samuel's name. Samuel is now living the second chapter of his life through people that he anointed. And so it was just kind of wonderful because Brother John Min was there and Brother Dean Dickinson, who just retired as superintendent in Nova Scotia, and, and Justin McKenzie, who just got voted in last week uh, as the superintendent of Nova Scotia. So we had every living superintendent, not just every living superintendent, we had every superintendent the Nova Scotia district has ever had all there together, and they all love each other, and they're all friends. And Brother Dickinson and Justin, they carry the spirit of the elder. And so after he got done talking about the book of Second Samuel, we got up, got them up, and introduced them as First, Second, and Third John. <laughs> and I think that's so awesome, and it's true. Pastor Justin carries the mantle of the elder on him. We've watched that. He was here for uh, a few years, and uh, we, we've watched that develop. And that's a wonderful thing. And those mantles of elders and pastors and people that have mentored you and taught you—they—they. They're in the air above you. Mantles are falling all the time. But not everybody's wanting to grab a hold of one. A lot of them get trampled underfoot because people are too busy, too preoccupied. 
but mantles are falling all the time. You don't have to go to somebody and say, give me your mantle. You just have to watch and look and listen and be sensitive in the spirit because the elders anoint and appoint and they preach and they teach and they leave behind wonderful avenues of the spirit. And it's just up to somebody like some of you to just say, I am not going to let Benny DeMerchant be the only one. I'm not going to let John Min be the only one because Benny DeMerchant is gone and Brother Min is elderly and I just need to be somebody in my generation that can tap in to that river of revival. And so you're on the lookout for a mantle to fall and, and like Elisha with the elder Elijah, you just grab it up and you go to work and you walk out to the river and say, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Where's the Lord God of the elders? And where's the Lord God? And God will meet you in that. He's not looking for somebody that has the greatest, coolest ability. He's looking for somebody that has the deepest willingness to work for him. That's what he's looking for. Zechariah saw that wonderful river that I'm talking about. It shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark. Doesn't that sound like this generation? But it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass in a day when it's hard to distinguish what's right and wrong, what's good and evil, what's light and dark. It shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. The Jesus name, one God message is not a relic that belongs in a museum. It's an ever-present reality and it is shooting like lightning around the globe right now. God's going to do it and have it and accomplish it, but he doesn't need to do it with somebody else if we're here. We need to jump on board and say, hey, Jesus, over here, I want to be involved in that. I want to be part of that. I, I don't want to sit back and watch it. I want to be right in the middle of it. Only you can choose which river you're going to swim in. But that's not entirely the point I'm here to make tonight. Not when we have a life-changing gospel coexisting with a life-wrecking world. The point is for you to reach across that divide, to reach over into that churning water that can shipwreck people and reach across and pull precious souls out of that side of the river into your side of the river, out of the world, into the church, out of sin, into godliness. That's your job. You are called in your generation to navigate the current. You are called to sail the rapids. You are called, as the elders used to sing, to throw out the lifeline across the dark waves. That's your calling. I will tell you, after... 40 years. I don't really care if you ever stand behind a pulpit. That's really quite immaterial and inconsequential. It really is. I don't care if you ever preach at some big conference. That in the scheme of things is really very tiny and inconsequential and matters very little. I care if you get involved in kingdom work and you do what God has called you to do wherever he calls you to do it. Don't get destination disease. 
that I've got to go there and be that and get that position or that title and then I can do something for God. Follow the mind of the Lord. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, Psalm 119, verse 133, order my steps in your word. That's all I want. You are called to populate heaven by depopulating hell. You are called in your generation to build teams and, yes, use technology to effectively reach your generation. You are called to engage our culture in creative ways without sacrificing your apostolic identity. You are called to plant churches in cities where the devil has controlled the culture for generations. You are called to pull souls one by one from his clutches. You are the generation called to negotiate the meeting of the waters. Perilous times and Pentecostal fire at the very same time. A great falling away and a great ingathering of souls at the very same time. Unthinkable apostasy and unprecedented revival at the very same time. How do we do that, Pastor Raymond? That sounds dangerous. It sounds treacherous, and it is. And you and I both know, even in your generation, even with your younger age and less experience than this old guy up here, you know and I know that there are people who got too close to the edge and too close to the line, and they fell away, and today their life is just a caricature of an apostolic. They may still name the name of Jesus or go to some church or lift up their hands when they sing, but you know and I know that they're far from what God called them to be. Don't you be that person. Don't you go that direction. But it doesn't help you and it doesn't help them and it doesn't help this great kingdom cause that you're called to. If you go the other direction and you retreat into some church basement somewhere, lock all the doors, shut all the windows, and celebrate that you're saved for the next 40 years. That helps nobody, including you. So you are called to go right up to the edge and to still be godly and still be apostolic and still believe in holiness and still believe truth. And you're called to go right up to the edge in your culture, in this generation, in these treacherous times, in the end of the end times, in the last of the last days. You're called to go right in, up to that line and reach and pull. You say, is that possible? Oh, yeah, that's possible. Jude chapter 1. There's only one chapter. That was a trick question for the Bible college. If you don't know that yet, you need to go back and do another year. <laughs> and Jude said, of some have compassion, and that'll make the difference. But it's treacherous out there. You can't just have compassion on some people and them get saved. Some people, you've got to pull them out of garbage. You've got to pull them out of perversion and wickedness and evil and all kinds of mess. So others... Save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even, see this is important, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. You don't get near them because you're fascinated by them. You don't go there because secretly you wish you could. No, you're still a man or a woman on a mission from God. 
So you're still every bit godly, but you go into ungodliness to pull. You're still every bit righteous, but you go into unrighteousness to pull. That's your calling. That's your job. You don't need this to do that job. You don't need this to do that job. You just need the call that is on your life to do that job. How can I do that? Because if I go to the edge, I've known people that went to the edge and they fell over the edge. Yeah, that's true. But there's another verse. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. See, here's what you do. Here's your calling. Get one hand firmly in the hand of Jesus. You have a relationship with him every single day of your life that is far greater priority than whatever ministry position you will ever be called to or whatever they'll call you. Titles, they're a dime a dozen. Believe me, I don't even know what a chancellor is. I'm still trying to figure that out. Somebody's going to have to tell me. Chancellor and presbyter and bishop, and they all sound kind of old and dusty to me, but anyway... Here's what you do. You don't need a title to do this. You don't need a position to do this. You don't need a salary from a church to do this. Get one hand firmly in the hand of Jesus. Hang on to him with everything you've got. Learn of him. Sit at his feet. Pray and intercede and, and study that word that you've been taught this last three years. And with one hand, you hang on to him. But, but for God's sake and their sake, reach with the other hand and get a hold of them, and you keep one hand on him, and you put one hand into the treacherous current of this generation, and you reach and you pull, and you don't need any of the trappings of Pentecost to do that. You just need a heart for souls. You just need the calling that God has invested in you. That's all that you need. That's all that you need. Hang on to him and reach for them. That's it. That's your assignment. That's your job description. That's the great commission. Hang on to him and reach for them. That's it. Thank you, Steve Jobs and Apple. That's my iPad. I use it. I like it, it's wonderful, convenient. I can use technology. I asked Jesus to help me here. This is the Bible that my great uncle was using when he died. He was the first apostolic in our family he received the Holy Ghost on December the 28th, 1920. It altered the trajectory of our entire family. I am here because of that moment. This was his Bible. He had many Bibles. He'd give them away to young ministers. This was the one that he was using when he died. It's my job. It's my privilege to reach with one hand for this generation and to hang on to truth with the other. 
This is your job to connect the two. This is your job to let the anointing and the power and the revelation and the truth that is in here, that, that you've been taught, that was prayed into you and, and preached into you to hang on to that and then to reach for your generation and hang on to this. That's your job. I'd like everybody to stand with me. I'm finished. Kathy, if you'd come back and help me, I'd appreciate it. I'd like you to just reach up your hands. I know you probably can't do that because of room, but I'd like you to reach up your hands. But I want you to imagine this. With one hand, I want you to reach and get a hold of every, every thought, every memory, every, every piece of revelation that's in you, every, every bit of anointing that, that's on you, and you've felt it, and you've negotiated it, and it's become even a little familiar to you, and you know your way around the word and the anointing and the church, and that's familiar ground to you. But God isn't commissioning you to be a curator in a Pentecostal museum for the rest of your life telling stories about what used to happen. No, we've got to have a revival in this generation. We've got to have the meeting of the waters. We've got to have ancient truth and modern culture. We've got to have righteousness of God and the sinfulness of this world. We've got to have them come together. Now, we know which one will be mightier. We know which one will be greater because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world but it's your job it's your calling to reach both and make that connection it's your job it's your calling it's the only thing in the end that really even matters at all church and guests and everybody else that loves these students I'd like you to lift up your voice like a holy roar in this room and go to prayer because the commissioning in this room is not just for a handful of graduates, it's for everybody. I love you, Jesus. Ah, huta karememesia soba. In the name of Jesus. 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 As we are meeting here in this baccalaureate service, out that door, up that ramp, down that hall, 
in the youth chapel is the family of Charlene DeMerchant. Charlene, to the best of my remembrance, has never stood on this platform. Charlene and Greg are kind of quiet by nature. I'll probably give them a little grief at the funeral tomorrow. We've never been able to get them out of the back. We tried. They just kind of steady, faithful. Since last Sunday when she went home, hundreds of people have commented, sent texts and Facebook messages and little posts on the church page and stuff to Greg and hundreds of people. Her nephew, Adam Hunley, is he and Maya are our new regional director for the newest region of missions in the United Pentecostal Church International, Eurasia and North Africa, which is basically a huge slice of the Muslim nations of the world. Aunt Charlene helped put that missionary burden in Adam when he was just young. It's unusual, but one of the greetings by video for her funeral has an Arabic part because so many of her friends were Muslim. Spoke the Arabic language, spoke Farsi, whatever. That's a life well lived. That's somebody who never had a minister's license, never stood in a pulpit, never stood on a platform. But she impacted hundreds of people, not just here, around the world. Bible studies online, amazing. I stand here and Pastor Jack is her pastor, but I got to be her pastor for a bunch of years too. And it's just like an honor to say, I was her pastor. What a soul winner, what a heart for God. I have no problem. I hope you pastor and lead and serve at the biggest churches in our fellowship. I have no problem. But that's not the goal. That's not the goal. In fact, when we get to heaven, you see if I'm right, you come tell me. I don't even think that's going to get mentioned a whole lot. I think heaven is going to surprise us when the little old faithful prayer warriors from a bunch of local churches, some of them not very big at all, get pulled to the front of the line and given crown after crown after crown after crown after crown. After crown. That's the call. That's the calling. That's the commission. We're going to come pray in just a second. Brother Alan Shaw, who is an apostle to Asia. If you don't like the word apostle, tough. He is. His ministry speaks for itself. He was at Canada Conference this week, and in one of the sessions, I can't remember which prayer meeting it was because a bunch of prayer meetings broke out. He said... In this last days, he said, God spoke to me and said, because the time is short and everything's accelerating. 
when this generation who are called to ministry, when they pray, I'm going to put the prayers of all the elders all back through history. I'm going to add that to their prayer. So when they lock into prayer, it's not just going to be them. See, prayers never die. Prayers are pictured in Revelation three times as incense. It's still swirling around the throne of God. There's not an elder that ever lived in any church in this district or in, or your district, anywhere else. There's not a prayer that they prayed that, that's gone. And Brother Shalom said, the Lord spoke to me and said, I'm going to reach back. Here's what he said. I'm going to reach back even past the time of Abraham. I'm going to pull all the prayers of righteous people that serve God. I'm going to pull them forward and I'm going to pour them out on the last day's generation. You don't have to believe that. I believe that. I'm reaching for that. I'm wanting that. I want to be part of that. I want to be part of that. He said that, didn't he, Brother Carter? He said that. I like all of the graduates to come first, but I would like all of the students to come as well. And I just want you to come. Uh, let, let's get out of that corner because I want our church and everybody that's visiting, your families, I want them to be able to pray for you. Would you just come right around the front? Like, let's get somewhere in the middle and don't, don't bunch up. I want to get people around you. So we'll let the graduates come first and then all the rest of the students, if you'd come too. Any other students we've got in this place, high school, university, college, it doesn't matter. You're welcome too. And, and this church, I'd like everybody that's here, especially if you're related to one of these young people, uh, you're here to cheer them on. You've got an investment in them. You pastor them. You're part of their church family. I'd like you to start flooding into this altar right now. We're going to lay hands on these students. They never gave me an ending for service. They just said to have church. So I'm looking for a whole bunch of people, like a few hundred people. I, I'm looking for you to just step out of where you're standing and come in behind. Some of you pastors and leaders, you can come in among these students, and I want you to lay your hand on them, and we're going to pray for them and commission them, and then Brother Carter or whoever can come back and take this. Church, would you lift up your, your voice right now? I'm still looking for some people to head down these aisles. I, I'm looking for you. I'm not looking for ministers only, pastors only. I'm looking for great saints of God that you, you get it. You get it. We got some space. You can come right in around the front, right in around these students. We'd love to have you here to pray for them. Totalaba